This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by our friends at KaijuLive.shop. Stay tuned later on in the episode to learn more about the awesome folks at Kaiju Live and what they have to offer to you, our faithful Kaiju Weekly listeners. 99 Kaiju episodes go by. <laughs> Can't believe you walked Bye, all guys. over my idea. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me for my uh, our 99th episode, can you believe it? We are turning 99 <laughs> years old. Michael Hamilton. Well, I, I, I tell you what, Travis, I, I feel... What, what, what was I saying again? Back in my day, Godzilla was green. <laughs> Back in my day, Godzilla was still uh, black and white. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. So I'm just going to stop talking right now. <laughs> oh, man. How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I mean... It's it's our 99th episode. Why would I break tradition? I'm tired. It is our it is our 99th episode, and for the 99th time, Travis has said he's tired. I'm um, tired. This is you know this is this is yeah 99 episodes, and um and and the penultimate. I guess we can already we can tell. I guess we can kind of tell folks now. Uh, the pen, this is the penultimate episode for at least this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we are taking a break. We've uh, kind of announced it on uh, Twitter and we're going to probably talk about it more next week because next week will be our last for the season uh, for the year. But yeah, we are going to take a much needed break from podcasting uh, just for a month. You know, we typically take a two-week break at the end of the year just to kind of recoup and, and come back strong and come back with, you know, new and fresh ideas. Uh, but, you know, we needed, because of, of all of the chaos and, and just constant go, go, go that's been this year for the two of us, we, we decided to extend our break from two weeks to four weeks. So uh, we will not have, we will have an episode next week and we will have a bonus episode shortly after that. But after that, we will mm -hmm. not have another episode until the beginning of January. Yeah. So probably our bonus episode will be, um, we'll announce that on our social media. We have, we know what we're going to be doing. Yeah. But we'll announce that on social media and we'll probably put that out. Uh, I don't know, like maybe first, second week of December. Yeah. That's probably. what I was thinking. The first Since, week of December you know, is probably what it'll be. Yeah. Something like that. So the first or second week of December, uh, we'll put that out and you know, that'll be, that'll give you guys hopefully something that'll tide you guys over until uh we come back in january which like travis but, said we're we're not going anywhere we're just gonna take a little bit of a, a hiatus a siesta if you will 
Yeah, and and it's not for long. It's only for the for the month of December, uh, and then we're coming back in January. Yeah. So so you know it's 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 not for very long. It's just you know we're we're just gonna be gone for for four weeks. Uh, and just mm-hmm. uh, as a little hint, hint, we may be still doing some stuff uh, around on the podcast uh, sphere during that time off, just not for our podcast. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we got a few, we got a few uh, passion projects. I think. Well, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Are you talking about some guest spots? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking uh, about maybe some a guest couple. Spots. Maybe. Right, we're going to be doing some guest spots, and we've got a couple of passion projects you and I both are working on coming up to keep our keep ourselves busy. But you know, the weekly grind, the weekly pace of Kaiju weekly gets a little bit exhausting. Not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so we're going to just, you know, we're going to be gone for a few weeks and then we'll be back fresh and ready to talk more Kaiju stuff. But that's still a couple of weeks away. We've still got to finish this episode. So for the 99th time, let's cue the beady beady. Let's cue the bitty bitty. And the first bit of news that we're going to talk about is about a new show that is going to be airing on the, is it the Godzilla official YouTube channel? Uh, called. I got, yeah, it's. Godzilla official by Toho is what the channel yeah, is called. Godzilla yeah. official by Toho. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it is called Godzilla chump and Michael, I'm going to let mm-hmm. you take over because you've actually uh, seen this and looked into this and I haven't. So I'm going to let you talk about this one. Yeah. Godzilla chomp. Um, I want to say, I think it was announced on Godzilla day. I don't, remember exactly if it was announced on Godzilla day. I feel like it just kind of came out of nowhere though. Uh, but the debut episode happened on November the 10th and it stars host, uh, Chris Mallory, who is the, what is the international creative lead for Toho here in the United States? I think it's the, yeah, he's a creative manager. Yeah. He's the creative manager for Toho international. So for, for Toho's offices here in the U S Right. And so the whole series will kind of walk us through uh, and give us a tour, I guess, an inside look at a company that is pretty, you know, secretive, I guess, um, in terms of just letting especially Americans in and letting us see, um, you know, what the, how the sausage is made for lack of a better term. But, um, you know, Chris will what be taking us. Through, I think first the first episode is Chris kind of showing us around the Toho offices there in Los Angeles, and the second episode will be all about the uh, kind of the rare and interesting things that you can find, or some of the rare and interesting uh, collectibles and whatnot that have uh, that have been made over the years. And I think that's super interesting. Um, it airs, I want to say it'll air every, what is today, Tuesday? So that's, I think it airs every Wednesday on, on their official YouTube channel. So uh, if you want to be informed about that, I recommend just going over to Godzilla Official by Toho on YouTube and subscribing. Uh, and that should just pop up for you there when it's ready. But yeah, it's, it looks to be an interesting little series. And it's not very long at all. Like the first, um, 
the first episode was only like maybe 12 minutes or something like that. It's not like a full feature length, uh, you know, episode, like a 20 to 25 minute episode, but it's just a, a neat little behind the scenes of a company that's, like I said, pretty, you know, pretty shrouded in mystery as far as like how it operates and, you know, some of the inner work, inner, inner workings of it. Yeah. Toho's not known for letting people in and, and like even Toho studios in Japan, one of the things that uh, we mm-hmm. always try to in inform uh, fans of Godzilla and everything when they're traveling to Japan, that Toho is not like uh, a lot of the LA based studios where you can kind of take a a uh, a tour of a studio. You can take a tour of like Warner Brothers. You can take a tour of Universal and things like that. They do not allow tours. Um, mm-hmm. They they only do on certain occasions. Uh, one of those occasions was was not this year's Godzilla celebration, but last year's Godzilla ce- celebration. I think they opened their doors to a few people for tours, but they rarely ever do that. <clears throat> so so you know it's not like you can just show up and and be like, hey, can I take a tour? And and they'll show you around. And it's like no, 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 no. They don't do that. Um, so yeah, it, it, they're just, they're really not known for being very open with their, uh, inner working. So yeah, this, this is kind of, it's an interesting yeah. series. I, you know, I, I, I'm interested in checking it out. I just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, it's super, it's, it's really, it'll be interesting. I don't know how long, honestly, I don't know how long it's supposed to run. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's supposed to run for very long, but maybe somebody else out there will know. Or I can just go back and rewatch the video and maybe it'll tell me, but I don't honestly know how long it's supposed to run. Uh, it may just be a few episodes, but it's still, honestly, it's still pretty, pretty, pretty cool that uh, they're doing this, at least for Western fans, because uh, it shows me at least this is, I guess this is me uh, being wishful thinking. It just shows me that Toho is trying to do something for Western fans. And so that kind of gives me a little bit of hope for things coming down the pipeline because, you know, we have had rumors of, uh, you know, the MonsterVerse continuing and, you know, Toho uh, continuing its partnership with Warner Brothers and whatnot. So, yeah, something like this does definitely give me a, a little glimmer of hope, you know, going forward. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next bit of news. This is kind of a quick news. Um, we, uh, I don't know who started the hashtag on Twitter, but it was called hashtag glue gate. Uh, and it's, <laughs> and, and basically it's an FYI sent out to anyone who has the criterion Godzilla collection. Uh, the really big one that came out mm-hmm. a couple years ago that yeah. if, if you, if you store it standing up, you run the risk of the discs slipping down inside of the uh, envelopes in inside of the, the sections and getting glue on them, which may damage them and prevent them from being able to play. So just keep an eye on them. Yeah. Maybe uh, store it laying down or store the discs in a separate thing, so a separate place. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, this, that's just an FYI for anybody who has that collection to check on it and make sure that your discs are still, uh, safe and not damaged. Okay. So two things, two things. First thing, I'm not necessarily affected by this because I, uh, I bought the, the Matt Frank, um, the Matt Frank, like six disc or whatever, or eight disc, uh, Blu-ray case 
artwork that he put out last year and then right. bought the case and put all my, I put all, all of my criterion discs are safe and sound in a actual Blu-ray case. I don't know why criterion could not have done that to begin with because it is a real problem. In fact, our friend Lisa Nafziger posted a picture today of hers actually being affected by hashtag glue gate um, where and it's and and the weird thing is it's only for like it's only been reported for like specific discs like six like disc six and disc disc eight or disc whatever it is and essentially just okay so this is your ps i've talked i feel like we've talked way too long about this so here it is here's your psa lay your if you still store your criterion collection in its original packaging like the packaging that came directly from criterion that massive book uh lay it down flat First of all, check it to make sure that you're not affected by hashtag glucate or, uh, and if you aren't great, good for you. And then lay your criterion collection down flat and it won't happen to you. Like just don't don't store it. Or do like what you did, which is like, you know, take the disc out of the book and put them in a separate actual case Mm -hmm. and then just keep that as like a collectible thing that you can store on your shelf. Like yeah. It, yeah it, or that, yeah. The, now, I do want to talk about it. I know we're talking about it a little bit too long because it is just kind of like a nothing. It was it hasn't made like huge waves, but it is something that I want to address kind of because we've already talked about before on this podcast. I can't remember how long ago and I can't remember which episode, but I do remember uh, someone sharing the that they're the envelopes in the in the book were messing up and that their discs were slipping down further than what they should. And that that was causing like scratches and things like that. And so they were already complaining. People were already complaining about the, the kind of like cheaply made and kind of hastily made, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, this, this book that, the, that all the discs are stored in, but now that we're getting actual like glue that can leak onto the discs and, and actually, cause problems with with playing the discs and everything it it just it really makes me question what was going on that made them make something because we've already had you know we we talked to death when the when the this set and the gamma set come out why this set was so inferior to like the gamma set and as far as like the discs Mm -hmm. and what was presented on the discs but to have it actually have like shoddy workmanship on top of it, just I just have to wonder what was going on. What excuse is there for this? Yeah, and you paid unless you unless you're one of the lucky ones that caught it on no I think it's like November the tenth when all the criterion stuff at Barnes and Noble goes on sale. Um I'm pretty, I think it's November the 10th or it's November something. It just, it literally just happened a few days ago. So if you're one of those lucky people that were able, was able to catch it when it was like a right, right at a hundred dollars, you know, you're not hurting at nearly, you're not as butthurt as say someone who paid the full price, which was like, I want to say it was like two twenty five. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a hundred dollars. It was more. like, well, it was pu- <laughs> it was like pushing it. It was pushing it was pushing two hundred after you account for tax and shipping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, yeah, if 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 my discs, if I was the one being affected by, I'd be pissed. I would definitely be pissed because you know, uh, 
you know, although I have a lot of, uh, although I have multiple copies of some of these movies, I would still be pretty angry because, you know, the Criterion set was supposed to be this be all end all of Godzilla Showa um, physical media. Mm -hmm. And it, and unfortunately it just, it just wasn't, I, 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 I don't know. Like first people, first we had the complaints about, you know, maybe the quality isn't as the, it's not, quite up to par with other criterion releases as far as film quality, like maybe Toho's, you know, tied their hands a little bit on what types of, what types of transfers they were allowed to use. And mm -hmm. then you have this, this cheaply made thing that's, that look, don't get me wrong, it looks beautiful. The artwork is great. Uh, and they, they obviously wanted to do something special, but the overall execution of the thing was a, was a pretty big letdown because yeah, you're right. This is not the only time we have talked about this on the podcast. Yeah. And, and, and not even as like Godzilla fans, is this like infuriating, but if you are a person who just collects criterion collections like this, or, or, you know, mm -hmm. collects everything yeah. from the cr criterion collection and you're not actually a Godzilla fan, this is still like still, so ridiculous and still just unacceptable because you would be angry if you were just a film fan who had these discs because it's the possibility of ruining these discs and it's just and it's all from shoddy workmanship and it's and and there's no excuse for it i i just yeah it, it's really infuriating that this has happened and it's not the last thing that we're going to talk about today that's going to be slightly infuriating <laughs> um so maybe right. we should move yeah. on <laughs> maybe yeah let's let's go ahead and, and rip the band-aid off uh of that one so well yeah so okay <laughs> it was announced oh, it was announced on twitter uh that g fest would be making changes to its policy on fan art uh, and for Artist Alley. So for anybody who has never been to a con at all, especially, you know, G-Fest or any con, uh, there's usually a section that is called Artist Alley. That's where you can go and buy artwork that's, you know, done by artists, local artists to the area or famous artists uh, who want to sell some artwork that's there. Or, you know, it's just a place for a lot of artists and, and for you to pick up artwork. Uh, and it's also a place for fans to express their kind of love for whatever thing the con is for, whether it be Star Trek, sci-fi, uh, Godzilla, kaiju, horror, comic books, whatever. Artist Alley yeah. is like a a solemn place for us nerds <laughs> uh, because it's the place where fans are expressing their creativity and their love in a creative way. And other fans can uh, express their appreciation for that uh, by, you know, buying artwork or material that was made using this stuff. Uh, but G fest is changing their policies to where that, if you are a an artist who does fan art of already existing IPs, specifically Toho IPs, um, they didn't really specifically say Toho, but but they were really focusing in on Godzilla yeah. and, and the other Toho stuff. Um, you are yeah. not allowed to bring that into Artist Alley. 
uh you who are only allowed original stuff that that is not fan art uh now and to and this is a tricky thing because and i and i don't mean this to sound uh i'm not trying to sound like facetious or anything i'm just saying i'm just stating this as an just as, as an outside as sort of an outsider looking in when you go to G Fest, which is a Godzilla con, it's a Godzilla Fest. It's short for Godzilla Fest. When you go to Godzilla Fest and you're an artist, people kind of expect you to draw Godzilla things. And they might be a little and although, you know, you may draw some really fantastic uh original character art, but they're primarily gonna they're gonna be hugely disappointed if they can't get their hands on your artwork in the form of Godzilla. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that's not trying to diminish. Yeah. That, that's not trying to diminish other artists and the original and original IP or original characters, because there are some fantastic works out there with original characters. Oh yeah. But you know, for a, for a Godzilla con customers are going to want Godzilla art. Yeah. Or, or, that's or what makes it hard comic book art or, or i mean like this this is a subject while this is specifically dealing with and, and we are a kaiju podcast so we're dealing specifically with g-fest but this kind of situation which this has come up in other cons before uh and it's always kind of mm. blown over and and there's always been workarounds so g-fest taking a hard stance on it is kind of what i guess is what's upsetting a lot of people because there have been other cons where this kind of stuff has has come up like comic con you know there's a lot of comic book artists out there and creators who who have have talked about like where do you draw the line between doing fan art of something and doing a counterfeit spider-man or a counterfeit you know superman thing and you're selling this when dc is also selling their superman stuff where do you draw the line like that question has come up before this is just the first time this question has kind of come up i guess in in regards to g-fest and in the kaiju community at least as far as i can tell um and i'm gonna play I'm going to play devil's advocate here and just, I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for a second, because I think it's, I think that's important to see, to try to look at it, look at it from both sides. Right. Do you think that, because I, I saw the document, like a lot of other people saw the document today. I think it was Kaiju transmissions that uh, actually posted it for people to look at. I don't necessarily understand everything that was said. Like I have two semesters of a law degree that I didn't ever get, i never got to use. So I, half the language in that document i don't understand um so do you think that this in in g fest's defense they were just trying to uh you know preemptively stop something like keep from getting sued basically which i can totally understand they don't want to be sued by toe's lawyers Yes. Um, so that document that was shared by by Kaiju Transmissions, our friends over at Kaiju Transmissions, that you know, I do want to point out that was not directed towards G Fest. Uh, right. G, as far as we can tell, and as far as because G the G fan G Fest uh, is not actually telling us any information, uh, they haven't actually had any 
contact from Toho or other licensors of these IPs, they're just kind of, like you said, preemptively doing this to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. What that document that Kaiju Transmissions shared was for other, uh, um, as far as I can tell, it was for other uh, vendors and other um, people who were selling. And it was for people who were selling artwork online uh, because it specifically did mm-hmm. mention the internet um, as like the source of where people were selling. So, so that, so G Fest wasn't part of that, but you're right. I do think that that kind of thing happening, you know, and, and Toho is famously litigious. Like we know that Toho is yeah. not above coming after a small person who wants who is just wanting to do a Godzilla thing. Um Toho's done that before. So knowing that and seeing what's happening with this whoever this particular uh lawsuit was aimed towards G Fest and G Fan just they might have gotten scared of like what's going to happen to us. Yeah. We don't want to we don't want to be shut down. We don't want to have to pay legal fees because even if there's an, a case to be argued in favor of G-Fest in this situation, the legal fees that you'd be paying for that is still uh, uh, you know in that that's kind of where a lot of these big companies are hoping for. Like a lot of times when a company uh sues a smaller group or, or an individual over something they're not expecting you to take it to court because they expect you to be like well i can't afford that so i'd just rather pay whatever fine or quit doing whatever i'm doing rather than go to court so so i totally understand the the feeling of we need to cover our butts we need to protect ourselves in a legal way and we need to make sure that we're not going to get dragged in and sued because of Toho coming after people who are selling artwork of their IPs. I understand that. Yeah. I right. what I do not what I do not agree with for me personally is the mm-hmm. way that G Fest is going about it. Taking, like I said, taking the hard stance when other cons have not taken that hard stance before and they've dealt with situations like this and they've dealt with it in a more neutral way. GFIS taking a very hard stance like this is kind of annoying. And it doesn't really, it doesn't affect me as much. So I'm not necessarily strongly opinionated on it, but it definitely affects people that we know who've been guests on this podcast mm-hmm. and uh, who we, you know, interact who, who with, work, who we've worked with, who, who we've worked, we've worked with. with. You know, yeah. And so of. it, I can understand the frustration of, of where they're coming from over what G fest is doing and the decision that G fest has made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of artists that I have seen and some, and a couple of them pretty, large scale artists have said that if this, if this stands, they won't be at G fest. Like mm-hmm. they just, they just won't go because they can't, they can't afford to if They can't either afford the license or because, you know, to, I would assume to sell officially licensed things, you would have to get an official license from Toho, which I'm assuming is astronomically expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, people, artists hands are tied here. 
And I think that, you know, this is just, and I'm not, and I've not been, and we've, I think you and I have done a really good job at not piling on to G Fest and G Fan over the last year, even when they have screwed up royally. We've done mm-hmm. a pretty good job of not pi- of not joining the pile on, right. but I just I'm with you. I I don't necessarily I just don't necessarily understand the reasoning here when they could have easily just said, "Hey, we're monitoring the situation uh, as of right now. Artist Alley will go forward as planned. If we get slapped by Toho, if we get a cease and desist by Toho, then that's it. We can't do it." But I don't because you have to you have to know you have to assume that maybe the the board of G Fest or the or the committee at G Fest has had contact with Toho at some point oh, yeah. they would have to you would think oh yeah I'm sure I'm sure and and you know I also wonder if there's a way in the you know for for the con to protect themselves while also I, I hate to say it but while also maybe throwing the artists under the bus still would have been at least a little bit maybe a little bit better because then the artists would have been taking the responsibility and the risk themselves whereas right. you know it, it, so i don't i don't know if that's a possibility that they could do to where they they're like we we accept artists but we do not take responsibility for the artwork that is sold here so that you know if if toho has a problem with it you have to take it up with the individual uh, that mm-hmm. i don't know enough about that's how a really crappy way organized. to th- that's a yeah that's a really that would be a really crappy way to handle it but I, at least it would be something I, I don't think it i don't think that's a crappy way of doing it actually i mean it sounds crappy because it's like uh right if we're going to make sure that you're the one who gets in trouble if 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 we get in trouble it's yeah. on you not me but really actually what it's doing is it's putting the the responsibility in the artist's hands like like and the risk in the artist's hands of like do are you know you can be here at g fest and you can sell this this fan art if you want but you're also taking the risk of if if something happens and we get sued you're the one who's going to have to answer for it not us which right now the reason why g fest is kind of uh the reason why g fest is taking such a strong stance is because they're the ones that are getting in trouble not the artists if something goes wrong right they're the ones who have to answer for it which is why i said i understand why they're where they're coming from uh so i don't know enough about how cons are organized to know whether there's that's even a possibility or even if they could do that mm-hmm. but that would you know if they could then that would you know kind of be a middle ground i don't know i feel like there is a middle ground in an answer somewhere and i think the hard stance that g fest is taking isn't the right way to go but like you said we have not been we haven't piled on g fest even when g fest and g fan have made mistakes we try not to we try to be you know we try to be honest with about how we feel but also fair um, so yeah, they've made mistakes. They've made missteps in the past. I don't know. I, I think this is not a good decision, but at the same time, I think that a lot of the anger towards G fest is a little misguided or misplaced because ultimately the, the, 
the anger and 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 up uh, you know the the feelings that you're having about this and the frustration from this should be you know towards toho because toho is the one that's putting them in this hard place now yes they're not reacting to being put in a hard place in a very you know in the best way or the way that we think they should but ultimately right. it is it falls on toho for doing this and and, and this is not you mm-hmm. know i mean not i'm not trying to get super political or anything but this is not above big companies to do stuff you know we we've all heard the story of the kid who's uh, who ha- was dying of of cancer i think and whose father wanted to print a a spider-man because spider-man was his favorite character so he printed a spider-man uh picture onto his on the to the the child's tombstone and disney sent him a cease and desist order and they had to tear down this the grave uh, the gravestone of a child who died and it's like yeah we've all heard that story like you're not coming off as the good guys in this situation. Legally, you have the right, but you're not coming off as the good guys. And I think that's kind of the same situation here with Toho. It's like, you're not coming off as the good guys in this situation, but it ultimately doesn't matter because money is what matters the most. Well, it's that imprecedent. It's that imprecedent. Like I, yeah. I, it's like, if you, I, I would, I'm just trying to put my mind, I'm trying to put myself in the, in the position of, of a company that, that, you know, if, if they allow one thing, then they would have to allow another thing for it to be, for it to stand. Like they had, it's either, it's either all or nothing at all. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Because so right now, I honestly, in my, uh, right now, legally, just real quick right now, legally, um, the fan art if you sell fan art now like like making fan art sharing fan art that's that's different but but um right selling fan art of an ip falls into the same category as counterfeit as a counterfeit uh thing so you know like someone who makes a counterfeit purse or a counterfeit any anything like that legally those are the same thing right now and i think you're Right. right precedent is the is the 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 situation we're in we i think it's going to come there's going to come a time if if you know we get to that point where someone is brave enough to actually go to court against uh toho against these big company a big company like toho or disney or one of them and if they win their case we could see a precedent where suddenly there's a separation between the two that fan art mm-hmm. is now in a separate category than counterfeit. But until that happens, they are considered the same thing. So legally they are the same thing. Yeah. And it just, it just makes me a little bit concerned about what we're doing with Kaiju ramen, but I know technically what we're doing falls under it's protected because it's protected. It's journalism. Fair use. So I don't know. Yeah fair use it, journalism, but it, it, but still that doesn't, you know, it doesn't prevent Toho from coming after us either. Oh no, um, no, absolutely. And, know, and I, I think I said that to you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I have had a lot of did. emotions today, so uh, I'm kind of talking a lot on this one. <laughs> no, you're fine. You, you no, it's fine. Cause you did say it to me. It's where I got it from. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, 
the just because you are protected by fair use like the idea the the concept of fair use uh your your um whatever you're doing falls under that category doesn't mean a company can't still try to sue you and if you don't right. have the money to defend yourself they may win or you know they may you know force you to shut down any youtuber on you know on youtube can tell you that any person who's ever reviewed a movie or a tv show on youtube can tell you you don't have to have the legal right to you know and be in the legal right to avoid getting slapped with a cease and desist <laughs> like like just because you you have the legal right to do it doesn't mean a company won't come after you um so yeah so so uh, like yeah it, it is concerning about what we're doing with kaiju ramen we are protected under fair use but it that won't stop a company like toho they'll still come after us if they want to um but you know yeah. uh they'll have to answer uh, to me <laughs> yeah. right right to travis versus toho i want to see that one more thing and then we'll and then we'll move on or a couple more things and then i'll move on uh one about the about the whole just kind of backlash towards g-fest i think honestly it's coming from a lot of it's coming from a lot of the anger and frustration that g-fest had accrued or accrued accrued over mm -hmm. the last year anyway uh, right. yes, it's terrible what they're doing. Yes, they've handled it poorly, but they've handled a lot of stuff poorly this year. So that's why a lot of people are up in arms Two, um, actually, I don't remember what my two was. I don't remember what my number two was. I don't even remember when the last time I had a number two was to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Today has been one of those days where like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where I was even going with that to be gone, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah. So we're just going to cut it off there. There we go. We'll move on to the next one. then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next bit of news. So a uh, super festival extra volume one uh, has happened. That is a festival where they have like toys and figures displayed what's coming, what's, uh, you know, from different companies and x plus was there at this festival and as usual they had a number of their figures on display uh stuff that is mm -hmm. coming stuff that's already come uh they've had some previews uh they had the 2021 kong prototype on display which looked really cool uh it, it did. is coming out uh the release date was revealed for may 2022 uh mm -hmm. also on display was a 30 centimeter gamera 1966 prototype looked really cool there was also a number of ultraman figures including uh king mai mai uh the larva version of king mai mai regeneration l king and a lot more bunch of bunch of like ultraman figures were also on the table uh and there was two new or potentially new lines uh from x plus that were shown off so we have a line of a new smaller model kit that will include an 11 centimeter tall camera which you know looked pretty cool mm -hmm. thought that was neat yeah, that... i did yeah. but the one that stuck out to me was 
Deforeal. So now we know Deforeal. Deforeal is, and, and people hate me for saying this, but they're like higher end Funko Pops. They're more highly detailed <laughs> Funko Pops. I know people hate me for saying that, but but as a person who does not collect things, no, that is what they are. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. And I honestly, I wouldn't, if I were on this, if we had say someone from X plus like a Jared, like Jeremy souls or someone like is, is actually works with X plus. I would never say that to their face, right. but essentially, yes, essentially. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, defo reels are high end Funko pops. They're just <laughs> highly, they're highly detailed, highly high. They're, they're highly detailed, higher end Funko pops. That's what yes. they are. I have um, a few. They're great. Yeah, they are you know. really cool looking. I've always I've always liked the Defo Real ones because they are the more chibi proportioned um, of the characters and figures that they're doing. That's why I yeah. consider them like uh, big heads, little bodies. Yeah, um, but just like Funko, now Defo Real has decided, or it looks like they've decided to do a gigantic line where they're going <coughs> to do big versions of the chibi style characters that they're doing and the one that was shown it was a prototype that was shown at the table at this x plus uh table was of shin godzilla the shin godzilla defo reel it it has all the proportions that you love about the defo reel big cute looking mm -hmm. head small body but yet it's the size of a toddler <laughs> yeah it's yeah like I'm so uh, as a sidebar, just something a little bit not well, it's related, but I'm so sick of Shin Godzilla. I am so sick to death of Shin Godzilla. Like they have milked that poor creature to death since 2016. I am so sick and tired of Shin Godzilla. Now, to be fair, I'm beginning to get a little tired of legendary Godzilla as well um, yeah. because it's everywhere. It's, yeah. it's just everywhere. Like it's, you know, it's, it, it's the same design replicated over and over and over. We'll talk about something along those lines in just a moment, but, um, yes, the, the, the gigantic shin is not official. It is a prototype. It is a proof. Actually, it is. I've, I've, I've talked to a few people that are more knowledgeable about this than not than, than me even. Um, it's a proof of concept to gain interest. So it's not even guaranteed. We're going to get that thing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I said it was a potential new line of stuff. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. they, we haven't, they haven't said they're going to d go this direction with the defo reels. I mean, I would, I would love to see it just cause I want to see someone with a chibi Godzilla yeah. looking thing, highly detailed, but also be the size of a toddler. <laughs> It's like yeah, it's because, like the 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 because it's the like point. the size. It's like the, no, it's 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 like the size of my cat. It's like that. Um, at the at the, the at the very bit at the very at the very best, it's about the size of Bub. Bub weighs about twelve pounds. I don't. I'm not saying this thing's gonna weigh twelve pounds, but he's a my cat's my little my little. He might weigh more than twelve pounds. Cats. Looking at it, it looks maybe hefty. It looks maybe, hefty. maybe, but you know, it's uh, my cat weighs about twelve pounds. He's you know, he's a pretty good sized cat. He's a pretty good sized little kitty. Uh, and this thing's about the size of my cat, and it's Shin. So whatever uh, I, I just, mean yeah i, okay. I want to see the point of the defo reels i always thought and it's the same with the funko pops is 
you're not getting a huge full statue of something high, you know, this big, huge detail. You're getting something smaller, right. more compact. That's why it's more chibi designed so that it can be kind of, you know, more stylized to be smaller. And, and so, you know, you can have exaggerated features so that you're not shrinking all of the features down so that they can be detailed like that. But right. it kind of, def I mean, I, like, I'm not against this, the idea I'm, I'm neutral on it, but it just, from an outsider point of view, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of the defo real line. Right. If you're going to make it the size of a statue that you could have already gotten, you know, like a full regular Shin Godzilla statue. I don't, under I don't understand. Right. <laughs> right. It, it does defeat. No, you're, you're not wrong. It, it does kind of just defeat the purpose of the defo real line. It, it essentially just takes it. It's essentially for people that like that style, just, they want it bigger. And I don't know. I I'm, I'm curious as to what one would look like fully painted up. Uh, it actually may look good. I don't have a clue, but I just think it's in all honesty, I think it looks pretty ridiculous to, if, if I'm, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I think it looks pretty, I think it looks ridiculous uh, it because looks the, like you cute. said, the whole point of the, <laughs> he looks cute. I, mean, he yeah, looks like maybe. A, I want to give him pets. <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's like, maybe like you have like a little big headed shin sitting here on the desk with you, just staring at you all day with his little beady eyes and his little T-Rex arms. But, um, the one I don't know, real, man. I just the one defo real that if they did, I would I would probably buy because I don't buy these things. I don't, you know, but if they did it, and if if they did a giant one, I would buy it too. Is a defo real chibi, you know, cutely proportioned baragon. <laughs> oh want, yeah, I want a little baragon yeah. puppy sitting on my desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I like the Defo Real line. They're affordable, um, you know, affordable, as affordable as you can be with these kind of higher end toys. Uh, they're not, they're not super expensive. They're typically around 70, 80 bucks and maybe a, sometimes a hundred, depending on if they come with a base or, or right. something or a light up feature or something like that. But, you know, they're relatively affordable. I have no idea what they're, the, if they made that thing, I don't know what they charge for it. They probably charge like 250, 300 bucks for it. They charge, they would charge 30 centimeter prices for a stylized, uh, fat chibi figure. This is the best <laughs> way I know how to put it. And I'll beep that out. I'm sorry, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the other things that they showed that I thought was really interesting at this, um, at, at, at this, uh, X plus table is they had this, uh, Toho maniacs has a Sarazawa, Dr. Sarazawa figure and the Matondo, Matongo figure, which you were saying before the podcast, that it uh, that's already out. You can already mm, get that's that. already available, correct? But the Sarazawa hasn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, they teased it. They teased it a few months ago, I think, in the spring. Uh -huh. But we've just never seen a we've never seen a physical prototype of it, though. Right. Which makes me want to ask you. So I know you got the the talking about defo real you got the defo real uh sarazawa and I do, one, of, yeah. one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons why I, I know a lot of people wanted that is because you don't really have f 
figures of Dr. Sarazawa in the scuba suit with the oxygen destroyer. But now mm. that this is coming out and it's a more, <clears throat> uh, a more human proportion, like realistic proportioned, um, not the chibi deferial proportioned, would you right. get this and which would you prefer? Um, uh, no, I probably wouldn't. I, I probably won't get this because I just don't like it's nice. And I think it would look good in my little, I've got like a little display of my 1954 figures that I like, like Bandai's and things that I've kind of accumulated, but it would look nice in that grouping, but I'm satisfied with my defo real Sarazawa at this point. Like, I just don't feel the need. I don't feel the need or the want to have this. Now I was telling you uh, before we started into the official episode, if they made say uh, a Nami, a Miss Namikawa from, uh, from Astro Monster or even the Exili or the Exilian commander from Astro Monster, or even better yet, in my opinion, uh, the Simeon commander from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, then I would probably be on that. But another Sarazawa figure, it's it's cool, uh, but I just don't like. I'm just like don't I don't have any interest. Okay, okay, <clears throat> okay. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering because we were talking about the the how the Defereels have the chibi propor- proportions, and now here's a Sarazawa with actual realistic proportions. I was wondering if that makes a difference in your mind on you know the figure or what. Um. It comes down to taste. It comes down to personal taste. Like I, I like the chibi proportions of the defo reel. I like the stylized. I like the more stylized figures. Um, cause I, I like like Safube. I like the Safube. I like Safube figures, like the really colorful, like mm-hmm. designer toy figures. I like that kind of stuff. So, um, the, the defo reel line kind of falls right in line with that. Uh, you know, Okay. But that's just me. It all comes down to personal taste. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was just something I wanted to ask. Uh, and then we had <coughs> this other uh, bit of news. Prime One is releasing a more affordable vinyl Godzilla statue. So, Michael, uh, you're more in the sphere of collectors and stuff. What is this about? Uh, Prime One is a company out of, I want to say China. I think they're out of China. Uh, but they make highly detailed, uh, oftentimes resin acrylic figures, like I said, highly detailed, very, and they come with a highly detailed price tag. Typically, um, they've, they recently shown off like busts from Godzilla versus Kong. Um, they showed off a, uh, two, a set of resin statues for Godzilla versus Kong, uh, one one Godzilla one Kong with a base that looks to, like it's it's a Hong Kong base to emulate the fight in the final fight in Hong Kong. So uh, over I think it was Godzilla yeah it was on Godzilla Day Prime One announced that they are going to be doing a vinyl version of their Godzilla. No announcement of what they're gonna what they're if they're gonna do Kong yet, but they are gonna be doing a vinyl uh, version of Godzilla. Uh, in the it's the same stance the same high it's the same size the same stance it may to let me just preface this by saying same in air quotes because um the tra- 
when you get, when you're trying to translate something from resin to vinyl, you're going to get shrinkage, which is why if I know a lot of uh, older collectors who have been doing this a lot longer than, than I have who collect resin statues and I have the vinyl version of that statue, my vinyl version is going to be slightly smaller in proportion than the resin statue because vinyl shrinks as it cures. Um, it just, it just kind of retracts into itself. So this one actually might be a slightly bit smaller than the re than the resin version. It's still going to be pretty big. It's going to be like 42, it's going to be 42 centimeters tall with the base. Uh, I don't know what the, I don't know exactly what the length of it is. It's going to be a big boy though. Um, uh, kind of trying to find it here on prime one's website. You can check this out at prime one, prime one, the number one studio.com. And it'll show you pictures and everything of this, of this really beautiful statue, uh, from Godzilla versus Kong. It's painted up in all it's, it's painted up in the, um, the intimidation display colors with the glowing blue dorsal spines. Uh, but what people, but what people are actually, uh, mainly excited about is the fact that uh, the price tag, because typically you're not going to pay for it. You're not going to get a thing um, from prime prime one without spending some serious cash. And, and this is not cheap. Don't get me wrong. This is not cheap, but typically you're spending in the upwards of 1200 to 1500 and even like in the two, three grand range to get a statue from prime one. Uh, what makes this so appealing to collectors is the fact that it comes right. It comes in right under the $700 mark, uh, for a vinyl statue, which for a gigantic for a gigantic scale vinyl statue, that's about the right price point that you're going to, that you're going to see with a, with a vinyl gigantic scale. And by gigantic, I mean, I'm talking like 40 centimeters and above. This is 42. So 40 centimeters and above, uh, is considered gigantic scale. And this is right in line with that price point. Um, it looks great. I probably won't get it cause it's not quite in the budget for me at this moment in my, in my collecting journey, because, you know, I bought a car. So, you know, this is literally my, this is literally a, just a couple hundred dollars over my car payment. So, you know, I'll probably end up skipping it, but it looks beautiful. You know, congratulations to whomever is able to, to get their hands on this guy. Pre-orders are open right now uh, from prime1studios.com. I'm assuming that we'll see pre-orders open up uh, from other outlets as well, like um, Awesome Collector and uh, our friends and our friends from Kaiju Live. Uh, yes. And uh, real quick, before we move on, I wanted to say... Uh, so all the news about the X plus uh, table or booth that was at super festival extra volume one, uh, you can check out um, all the photos of everything we talked about and everything we didn't talk about. Um, they still had some of the Harryhausen collection on display, even though some of those have already come out. Some of those that haven't come out yet. Uh, they had them on display. Uh, you can check out kaijubattle.net. That's where I get a lot of my news from. And they are always really good about every year, whenever this festival goes on, putting out just a summation of everything that X plus and everybody has uh, there for that. So, so go check out kaijubattle.net for any uh, extra information that we did not cover on that whole yeah. festival. Yeah. Mike's really good. About, Mike's really good about keeping his site up to date. Um, mm -hmm. 
with yeah. all that information. So yeah, he's a really good guy. Go check it out. And if you are a collector of fantastic Kaiju merch, make sure that you check out our friends over at Kaiju live. They are supporters and sponsors of this podcast, but above all, they are fantastic people who know exactly what it's like to be a collector and exactly what it's like to try and find that elusive figure that you've been looking for. So you can check out their site, kaijulive.shop, for lots of kaiju and tokusatsu goodness. And Michael, you've uh, been a fan and supporter of Kaiju Live even before we ever had this podcast. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, uh, AJ and his dad, Frank, uh, are fantastic people. I mean, I've, they run a, they run an auction show on YouTube every Sunday night, uh, just called Kaiju live. And that's what, the, that's how this whole thing started. And then it morphed into like an online shop where they, you know, you can pre-order things and they have things for sale. Um, but they're like, they're a family owned and operated business. They've been around for years and they love this stuff just as much as, just as much as you our Kaiju, our Kaiju weekly listener, just as much as Travis and I do like they're, they've been collecting for, for many, many, many years. And it's, it's a, it's a father and son team. And they're just, honestly, they're a bunch of great guys. Like I have never had an issue whatsoever, um, getting anything from them. I have bought things from the auction show before, and they're always fast, secure shipping. Uh, they do, they do offer payment plans if that's something that you need. Uh, when you buy things, because I know sometimes these toys and these collectibles and these things can get pretty expensive. So they're they do offer payment plans, uh, PayPal, pl- PayPal payment plans um, for things that you order from them. And they're just they're just really good guys. And I recommend anyone go check it. Check them out at kaijulive.shop. Yes. And tell them that Kaiju Weekly sent you so that they know that uh, we are making sure that we're getting our listeners over to them. And now let's move into our main topic for this week. So before we get into the main topic, we always like to ask a trivia question that hints to what our topic is each week. And this week we didn't have one that had anything to do with the topic um, because I kind of gave away the topic last week. Uh, But Michael came up with another trivia question. What is Travis's Uh favorite dessert? And we yep. had some answers. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> our friends, <sighs> our friends over at Record All Monsters podcast, who also guested on here during uh, the John Carpenter's The Thing episode, uh, they mm-hmm. sent in the answer Yeti Nipple Cream Pie. That sounds so gross. <laughs> it does. It really sounds gross. And Elijah. Why? I don't Elijah, understand why you would want. I don't know why you would understand. I don't understand why you would want like nipple cream to begin. I don't even want to talk. Ew, God, just the thought, like yes. the words just coming out of my mouth, like nipple cream. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Elijah also said Yeti nipple cream uh, as his answer. And I responded to him on Twitter with the gif of, uh, just saying no, bad, bad. <laughs> slap you, slap you on your face, slap you on your face. Like you're a dog. And speaking of a dog, 
Uh, yes, Nick Blackler sent in, uh, along with his answer, also sent in an image because he loves sending us in these photoshopped images and it's always great. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I may be late on this, but I wanted to share it anyways. Travis is definitely a sucker for Clifford Brulee. Uh, <laughs> it looks clever. Sick. And he also said, or the slightly more terrifying version where Clifford's eyes are just creme brulee. <laughs> and yeah, that is, um, <laughs> that is very, very terrifying. They look like fried chicken nuggets on his eyes. <laughs> they do. It's, it's, I'm like, are those, are those chicken nuggets? Like, or are they, actually, you know what it kind of looks like? It kind of looks like, uh, 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 general Saul's chicken, general Saul's oh. chicken. Oh, I love General So's chicken. I watched mm. an entire documentary about General So's chicken. It was really good. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Henshin Men podcast. So this is Nathan uh, using the account for our spinoff podcast that we do. The Henshin Men podcast uh, sent in fried grasshoppers dipped in mint green chocolate. Sounds because, yummy because it because it would look like Common Rider because Common Rider's uh, mint green and a grasshopper themed superhero. Yep, yep. Anyway, still, so I actually wouldn't. Mind, I'm not above eating grasshoppers. I haven't eaten. eaten oh, I've eaten. I've eaten. Um, I've eaten grasshoppers, crickets. Uh, I ate some. I ate some uh, chocolate covered crickets once. Uh, they weren't terrible they actually kind of had a nutty flavor i'm not above it i just haven't uh had any um where i'm from we don't we just don't have that here uh and i just haven't bought any online because i know you can buy them online because i like like they you can get them like they're they're not hard to get i have had scorpions though i've had a i've had a candy coated scorpions on <laughs> uh, those weren't too bad Interesting. Uh, but yeah i'm not what above does that eating. taste like uh i don't know it, it it had, I, it, it wasn't a nutty f flavor. It had almost like a metallic flavor to me, if I remember it right. It's been a while now, so mm. I don't really remember that well. But okay. I remember it kind of having almost like a metallic taste to it. Um, but yeah, mm. it wasn't bad. It just was like weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then our friend Danny Damana from the Godzilla novelization uh, project sent us this answer travis strikes me as a baked alaska kind of guy uh he said he actually doesn't but that's still the answer i'm going with never had baked alaska i i've never had baked alaska either i don't even know what it is it looks like marshmallow cream on fire so uh i know what it is uh, so what baked alaska is is ice cream um topped with meringue and then the meringue is Ooh. covered in like brandy and then the brandy is lit on Ooh. fire. Ooh. Okay. So it's okay. It's hot and, you know, crispy but also cold cuz it's the ice cream underneath. Yeah. Hmm. Uh hmm. that does sound good though. <laughs> then our friend Nathan from the Monster Island Film Vault sent us a uh, Clifford bar. Which, God. yeah, uh, you know, if you want to be, we want to be Godzilla themed or, or you know, or kaiju themed, uh, should have been Reptar Bar. 
Ah, hey, look, that's that's actually a thing because if you if you I remember that being a thing in Rugrats, like that a reptar yes. bar is an actual thing. Yes, yes. that's why I said it. <laughs> okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, I've also seen. Have you seen YouTube uh, videos where people try to make it like in real life? No. To where it has like the green cream inside it that turns your mouth green. It's weird. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't. Didn't they? Did they sell those at some? Did they sell like ones in real life at some point? I back at the remember. back in the height of mm. back in the height of the nineties when all that stuff was going on. I don't remember them selling uh, like official ones, um, but oh. maybe I, I really don't remember. I remember the Rugrats, uh, or some was it Rug was it Reptar bar? Like they sold the ice cream bars of some dis of some Nickelodeon characters, but I and uh, well, it kind of like the SpongeBob bars, but yeah. they weren't the SpongeBob bars. They were something else, but I can't remember what characters they were. I don't remember. I, I really don't remember. Hmm. Uh, and then oh. finally, we have Chris Deggle, who sent in my favorite answer this week: either the Sahara or the Gobi. It's my favorite huh. okay. dessert. I had to make sure when I saw that answer, I had to make sure I actually spelled dessert right. I know. That's what I, I did like, too. I was like, I went up, I was like, uh oh, did Michael misspell desert? Dessert. Did I did I did I spell did I spell desert and not dessert? But I spelled it correctly, which okay. Thanks, Chris, for that's a funny joke. Yeah, but funny what joke. I want to know is what I want to know is Obviously, none of these answers are none of these answers are correct, especially Yeti nipple cream, Elijah. <laughs> so, wh what is your favorite dessert? That's hard for me because I'm not a big sweets person. Like I, like most of my uh, most of my girth that I have on me, uh, it comes from uh, salty fast food, fried foods, not. Uh, sweets mm. sugary foods uh i'm just not big on yeah. super sweet stuff but uh i do love a cheesecake i will eat a cheesecake mm. uh and i yes. love i do love cannolis cannolis are yes lord cannolis are probably my favorite dessert um but i don't have them very often which which is also a good thing for for a you're like your favorite dessert is something you don't have very often um went to new york had cannolis from new york fresh cannolis from new york oh oh love it loved it loved it uh yeah and then i also love anything with coconut i love coconut so uh oh see i now you lost me there i can't i i don't really care much like i've gotten i've gotten where what i is can eat it wrong with you it's not my favorite though it's like the mounds bars with the coconut and stuff in them i just don't care for it man Ah, coconut's great. Actually, I tell you, and uh, this and this might actually be the real answer because it just occurred to me. My favorite dessert is probably a thing that my family calls pistachio delight, which some oh. people call a uh, Watergate salad, but it we do it differently than than like your typical Watergate salad. So it is whipped cream, cottage cheese. Oh. Pineapple, crushed mm -hmm. pineapple, uh, mm -hmm. mixed together with pistachio pudding mix. Ooh. All okay. put into a big bowl and mixed together. Uh, now, uh, Watergate salad, they'll usually add like walnuts and 
uh, uh, marshmallows, little mini marshmallows to it. I don't like marshmallows, uh, so that's not put in our family's uh, version. But they, we do get the pineapple, the whipped cream, the cottage cheese, and the and the pistachio pudding mix. And you just how can you them. not like marshmallows? How can you I, not like marshmallows? How can you not like coconut? <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's I'm fair. just I don't like marshmallow. I don't it's one of the reasons why I'm not like a big mochi fan, like like a uh, mochi, like you get like Japanese mochi. Uh because mm-hmm. it kind of has a it kind of has that uh marshmallowy texture to it. And and it's just mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't really like marshmallow and I don't like mochi. Uh, so yeah, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big sweets person. Uh, so stuff that's not overly sugary sweet is the kind of desserts I like. Uh, but our main topic, as you can tell by that trivia question and discussion that we had just now, our main topic is the no return, one asked for <laughs> the return of Dimogen or Dimogen from 1966. It was directed by Kinji Masumi. Uh, it stars Kojiro Hongo, Shio Fujimura, Taro Mari, Jutaro Hojo, Kuichi Uenoyama, Uenoyama, uh, Aseo Uchida, and Chikara Hashimoto as Daimajin himself, or Daimajin himself. Uh, just like last week, we're going to go back and forth saying Daimogen, Daimogen, Diamogen, just, just Di- da- Diamogen. Go, go to, go to <laughs> the, your nearest garbage can and submit your complaints there. Um, yeah. So, uh, the plot breakdown, Michael, what's the plot breakdown? Yes. The plot breakdown is a benevolent monster helps a prince Reclaim his dead father's medieval kingdom stolen by a devious knight. Is that the is that the plot to Galgameth? Yes. Oh my god, I cannot believe I got that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the plot. That is the plot breakdown to the legend of Galgameth. The legend of Galgameth. Oh man memories anyway uh anybody who was around for our second edition of kaiju quarantine uh back last year uh that was that that was a fun movie to watch (laughs) in the two in the two years it took to get through 2020 yes it it was a long time ago Yes, I know, I know. Uh, Anyway, uh, so opening thoughts on The Return of Daimajin. Um, My opening thoughts, it's a good movie, huh? I mean, it's it's an excellent movie. Uh, It's very similar to the movie we just reviewed, but it's an excellent movie. Clifford? Uh, But I will say, (laughs) no, not, no, not Clifford. Spoilers, spoilers. Uh, No. No. Um, but we're recording these out of out of sequence so shh. <laughs> yeah because we've already recorded episode 100 um <coughs> <hang on. coughs> excuse me but the movie is really good um and i think where this movie this movie has a leg up on its predecessor 
because this one clearly has the more uh, interesting or more striking visuals, in my opinion. Um, I am so glad that we're doing the Daimajin trilogy. I'm so glad that we've that we started this. Um, and Daimajin, uh, the return of Daimajin is, is great. I mean, there's not much else I can say except for it's it's great. It's great. Uh, I so. I agree with you that some of the visuals are a lot more striking in this movie, and we'll talk about some of the specifics, but I actually do think this movie as a whole is a step down from the first one. Um, It's a, it's a really good movie. I do. I, I, I want to clarify that, that no matter, even if I complain about some things later on this movie, I do firmly believe this is a really good movie, but like, the first movie was such a unique piece of cinema that with its tone, with its style, with its camera work and filmmaking and, and just the, like we talked about for a while uh, last week that the, the tone and atmosphere of that first one kind of feels like a, like a Grimm's fairy tale. This one doesn't. Mm. This one doesn't have any of that. This one is straight up period piece samurai action, uh, which is not a bad thing. If you like that stuff, it's it, that's that's fine. It's good. Mm. But at the same time, I think that by taking away the or, or you know by not having the atmosphere and tone that the first one had, this one feels more in line with other movies and kind of like fits into into a a pool of movies that is that is already full whereas the first movie kind of stands out from the crowd this one kind of disappears into the crowd more if that makes sense Do you think that this feels like a more by the numbers samurai action film yeah yeah it does it it feels and i, I even talk about it and I, I might talk about it in my final thoughts but uh if you are a fan of of zatoichi uh which is you know very mm-hmm. popular uh samurai uh film series uh this kind of feels like kind of like in line with zatoichi um so if if that gives anybody kind of a an idea of what this movie is like that's that's what it's like um so yeah it is it you know evil warlord uh greedy warlord wants to you know do evil things uh honorable good guy samurai who fights him and and rebels against him or or pushes back against the evil and yeah it just it, it is kind of a paint by numbers samurai film which again is not a bad thing in itself like that is it's a it's a good version of a paint by numbers samurai film Mm -hmm. but it just Mm -hmm. if we it's it's the it's comparing it to its predecessor where it actually it actually kind of falls flat or not falls flat but falls falls short i should say um because comparing like i just i went into the, after watching the first movie having no expectations and being blown away by how good the first one was going into this one with the expectations of how good that first one was and then getting right just this you know a normal average 
samurai film with some giant monster stuff at the end uh was you know kind of it wasn't disappointing but it is just kind of like yeah this one just doesn't reach the heights that the first one did so do you think that you think you just had you think you just had trouble taking this movie in in its own like context like you maybe played the comparison game to the original one a little bit maybe a little bit too much or um well i mean that's uh i mean people can judge any listeners who are listening to this can judge for yourself if i may be uh comparing it to the first one a little bit too much but but while watching this movie i did you know i can appreciate it for itself for what it what it is doing in itself i'm just saying that i'm not going to be as glowingly positive towards this one as i was the first one because this one doesn't right. do anything unique like this this one is not the first one was a treasure in its uniqueness in the unique tone and mm-hmm. the unique atmosphere and the unique way that it was telling the story uh whereas this one is not unique uh, it's it's very much uh, a a a product of the same type of movies that were being made at this time and continued on uh, in Japanese cinema. So so it's not unique. It is it is just a movie that it, that exists like other movies that exist. But that's not saying the quality is bad because it's still of the movie of the type of movie it is. It's a good quality. I just was expecting a little bit more maybe from it or, or maybe right. something a little bit different. Like, like even the, even the historical accuracy, which was something I really praised in the first one was kind of missing in this one. Like you, you get some historical accuracy, but most of it is kind of told in this, this generic off land way of like, Oh, it's a far away place in a far away uh, time where you don't really have to be as historically accurate. So it's just generically samurai. It's, it's generic samurai time period. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I don't know. That's, I don't know how else to say it other than, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about this movie, but we can get into our specifics if you want. Uh, and I can actually share, share some specific things uh, going into our patented positivity sandwich where we start with our positives patent pending patent pending do some uh negatives then finish on some positives so michael what are some positives that you have for this movie you know i think that the acting in the i think the acting in this was still on par uh because i know we we both both you and i praised the acting uh, from the from the previous movie, and I think that this one is even on par, if not slightly bit better than the second film. Um, than the first one. Oh uh, God, what is then? Sorry, the, than her first one. Then the first one. Oh uh, God, what was the um, the uh, the the young lady's name? The lead the the lead actress um, in the movie. I'm not talking about her actual name. I'm talking about in the movie. Oh, uh, um, uh, Sayori. Yeah, Lady Sayori. Um, I thought she put in a. I thought she put in a, a fantastic performance, um, and I even thought that uh, the. I even thought that the um, uh, her manservant, her manservant's name escapes me, put in a put in a really excellent performance too. But I think one of the one of the main things that shines for me in this movie is like I 
said in the, in the, in the opener was, I think this one takes an, a, a really good story and builds on it from the previous film, but adds an extra layer to it with more uh, striking visuals. That's, that's one of the big things that I love about this movie is it just adds that extra layer with the, the really striking visuals and, and specifically mm-hmm. like uh, the scene where he's coming up out of the water. Uh, and then of course the, um, the obvious, re- the obvious biblical reference of parting the sea, uh, which if you watch, uh, I watched the documentary, it's on the same disc as the first film, but I watched the documentary of how they made that and they made it by um, uh, shooting a, I think it was a dam. They shot it and then they, uh, uh, then they copied it and then they flipped it to make that effect. Now, is it perfect? No, it doesn't line up perfectly, but still yet, you know, with, with that in the background, Dimagine in the foreground, it does make for a really interesting composition. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing I will, I definitely agree on is the, the visuals in this are so striking though. That scene in particular is such a striking uh, visual that 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 really adds to the the power and strength that you get from from uh, Daimajin. Uh, he even without him actually attacking or destroying anything, just just the fact that when he with that him coming up out of the water, he doesn't just rise out of the water like Godzilla. He the water moves out of his way. Is <laughs> such right. a such an a, just a, a huge powerful moment in this film um there's another well, even it's even more it even brings a lot more i feel like this film brings a lot more of that mysticism in, and and dials it even further up even from the previous film uh, yeah because in, in the previous in the previous film he just you know he awakens from the mountainside and he comes to life and he starts walking in this there are some very clear um not just biblical references, but just it's, there's a lot of just supernatural things happening in this movie that just make it larger than they just kind of make it larger than life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's another scene that I think is really striking uh, visually. And that's after, uh, after the, the enemy uh, people put a bunch of dynamite in Daimajin's way and they set it off to try to blow him up and he there's just this cloud of smoke from the explosion and then as the cloud uh disappears you just see the shadow of daimajin still standing there and that and, and you can't and his face is obscured his you know his features are obscured but it's just so it's just a shadow mm. and that is just so terrifying to see uh-huh. you know and and i think that was just really great because because the the whole point of Dimogen is he is a terrifying thing like even to the people he is somewhat protecting he is still a terrifying figure that is supposed to be feared so uh yeah i just thought that was a <clears throat> that was a really good uh striking visual one of the things that i really liked about this movie was the set design. I noticed it more in this one than I did in the first one, but 
so I think they did put more into the sets for this one because you had like the sets of the of the castle and uh and stuff like that, but the the cave, uh-huh. the cave set, the a big portion oh, of yeah. the story actually does take place inside the cave of the on this island. And that set design is so good and so well done. Mm-hmm. Like it it is it is a very good uh, set with a lot of detail carved into the stonework and and everything, which is not real stones, obviously, but but it, there's a lot of detail put into it. There's a lot of room to move around, so they could shoot from multiple angles and shoot uh, with a huge amount of people on the set. So it's just it was really great, and they used it to not only shoot the scenes where the 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 daimajin statue was but then after the statue was destroyed they continued to shoot on this set with all of that like rubble around and everything and i think they just did a great job with that oh i think they did too and i i we talked about this in the last episode where i like i like it when they scale uh, monsters. And, and this is something we even touched. I think we even touched on it when we had Jack on for Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we like talked about how it, it, it is so nice when they're eight, when they scale things down a little bit, like you can get more of that intricate detail and a little bit and more. And it feels, um, it feels more intimate than a, than if Dimension was, um, you know, a hundred feet tall or, or a hundred meters or whatever it is, hundred meters tall. Um, so mm-hmm. I just like, I just like the set design. I love the set design in these two movies. Um, because I just, there's just so much love and, ca- and craftsmanship, uh, that goes into these and it just adds, and that just helps add to, that just helps add another dimension and a little bit more weight to what is going on outside of, giant creature crushes cardboard painted building you know what i mean uh, and I'm, mm-hmm. and that's not you know i'm not, i'm not trying to be disrespectful i'm just kind of just saying that you know when things are at this scale you have a lot more room to play around with visuals now i you know i talked about you know one of my big big negatives for this is is just that the the dark fairy tale kind of atmosphere that mm-hmm. we had from the first movie is gone um so right. it is a more a more generic film. One thing that I that comes with that I think is the villain while is while the actor does a fantastic job, the main villain, the warlord, uh the daimyo, the that uh mm-hmm. he he does such a fantastic job at acting as that character but I feel like there could have been some more depth put into the character than just generic evil, greedy guy Uh, because Mm -hmm. they, they start off the story they start off with is the reason why he wants to go and take over these other tribes, other lands in these, uh, you know, these other, you know, controlled by these other Lords is because they are wealthy and have resources and his land is very barren and blocked in by mountains. So he, that his land doesn't produce a lot. And so he wants to go and and take now 
he's played as kind of just the greedy bad guy who uh mistreats his followers and mistreats his you know the the people who are uh live in his area and his territory and he when he goes to and conquers the these other places he becomes this drunk and and boisterous kind of person i think it would have been more interesting if they stuck with the oh, i mean the, yeah if they stuck with the idea that he's a he comes from a poor land and he wants a better life for not only him but his people because like you're you're unintentionally and i don't think this was the the intention of the film but you're kind of unintentionally making the poor and destitute the bad guys who need to be defeated mm -hmm. by the rich privileged ones right. right and i don't you know especially in nowadays uh i don't think that story strikes a chord with people as well as it did maybe back in the 60s um but like i say i don't think they intentionally did it but it but it just that's what it ends up becoming and so i think if they made him more of like he's desperate to do this because he has kind of like a goal in mind that's that's good in itself but he's doing it so he's doing these things for the right reasons but he ends up becoming corrupt in the process so like you know in the yeah. in the journey to trying to make a better life for him and his people he becomes corrupt and greedy because of you know having access to wealth now that would have been a more interesting story than he was just always yeah. evil from the beginning yeah that that doesn't necessarily strike a chord with me because you know no one is born evil right um even like no one is born like no one was always evil yes you know man you know, we may make, you know, as men and women, as humans, we make mistakes and we are fallen, but, uh, and we are fallible, but we're not born evil. Even Hitler was not born evil. Hitler became evil over time and circumstances and adopting, you know, wrong ideologies. And this man was corrupted through greed and selfishness, greed, pride, you know, all of you, like all of the norm, what we would consider human, you know, the seven deadly sins, I guess, you know, if you, if you know anything about the seven deadly sins, it's like, you know, greed, sloth, um, uh, covet, covetness, covet, covetness, maybe, uh, that's, I think that's one uh, of them. It's, it's greed, sloth, lust, uh, pride. Lust, yeah, I knew lust. Wrath. Um. Mm. Oh shoot! I'm missing two of them. Well, and regardless, regardless, yeah, um, anyway, yeah. Regardless, no one is born that. No one is born evil. No one is, but, but you become evil through choices and through circumstances. And I, and I think, I think they could have done a little bit better with exploring that instead of just gluttony. saying, "Oh, he's always been gluttony." gluttony there we one. go. Because uh, I, I was trying to remember them, I was trying to remember the movie Seven. Is what I was. Uh, <laughs> you were trying of. to remember Seven. I was trying to remember um, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. 
because they both they, they oh, both have the yeah. seven deadly sins and then yeah yeah you're right right yeah i was yeah yeah um so i was trying to remember it's like what is that one with the fat the fat dead guy gluttony okay yeah uh anyway moving moving on but yeah it would have been more of an interesting story that if if they would explored some more of his backstory and not just that he was always an evil evil man you know right and 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 i mean the argument can be made and it's a legitimate argument that this movie was not meant to be that like this movie was meant to be right good versus evil i just think that that was yeah i think that that would have put too much emphasis that would have put too much focus and emphasis on that character and you would have forgotten and you would have it would have been it would have been the wrong focus it would have been an inappropriate focus for the movie Right. But I still think there was a way you could have done it to just to add some more depth to him instead of him just being bad for bad sake and not like I think I think right. like like I said, the, the, the fact that their their region was was poverty stricken is kind of interesting because then it's like, well, they're suffering the hardship of po- poverty is are they trying to say that poverty is what led him to be evil? You know, it's like, it, I don't know. I think there could have been some more depth put into his character, uh, following that idea, but, uh, you know, they didn't do it. It is what it is. Um, I, I was going to say another negative, but I can't remember what I was going to say. So do you have any other, uh, negatives that you want to, point out uh no not not offhand uh not it's not necessarily a negative but it's just something that i was kind of stewing on um and this may have what i was getting and this may be what i was getting ready to say as far as like a positive goes but it's also kind of a negative because i don't necessarily understand it i i feel like there is some significance to it i just can't necessarily nail down what it is um in the um, in the uh, in the original Diamagene, she the the lead actress she cries, mm-hmm. and Diamagene wakes up. In this one, she cries, Diamagene wakes up, or and even Diamagene goes back into the sea in this one. So, is there some kind of significance of a tear that the director was trying to say here, uh, or is it just? Um, or is it just like the messaging of, you know, a tear is just a reflection of just a very earnest prayer or something like that. I I, I was trying to parse out what, if there was any kind of significance to the tear, uh, in this, in those, in these last couple of movies. And there's also this one, there's also something I was stewing on. And this was, this was a thought I had, um, after I watched all three of the, after I watched all three of these the first time after I got, after I got the set, um, Dime Machine goes away in three, I think very specific ways. Uh, first he was returned, the first film he was returned to dust. The second film he was returned to water. And then the third film I want to say was fire but I'm not a hundred percent sure I have to go back. I have, I can't remember it exactly, but he was, but he, he returned to the elements through a very, through very, through three very specific ways. And I'm just kind of wondering, I'm trying to 
try to uh, dig a little bit deeper here and, and see if there's any kind of significance to those. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Um, obviously, uh, Daimogen in this shows like that he does uh, use the elements and in, in to to kind of fight against the evil people because like he uses stones and and water and fire, you know, in in his and even lightning in his attacks. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't really know if there's any specific significance to him. Um, I do want to, there is one more negative I did want to point out, and it's something that came to mind uh, I forgot about. But again, talking about how this movie feels more generic, especially when you compare it to the first one, uh, even Afukube's score, the first film I thought... Oh, yeah. I thought Afukube's score was pretty good. It was really, it was, it was pretty, you know, up there as one of the, one of his better scores, but maybe not one of his best, but one of his better ones. But this, in this movie, it feels like he just recycled a lot of the sounds and, and tones and stuff that he used in a lot of the other movies that he did. And so even, even the score felt kind of generic when you compare it to the first movie. I don't know. It felt like it felt like it matched the film. I think, um, and this I is, feel like it, if it, we, it, I feel I like if, know, we, it, if we played this movie and like uh, Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster like simultaneously, that the scores would sync up, like because it feels like it's the exact same score. Uh, I think it's actually more, I think it's, well, I want to say it's more so closer to even War of the Gargantuas, but you might actually be closer with, with Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, because there are some of the, there are very similar notes, but there's some, but you know, Fukube has a very, he has a very signature sound to his, to his scores too. So right, they all, yeah. he, he borrows things from everything, you know, he borrows, he borrows the, the the score from this he borrows the score in this movie from just a little bit of everything he's worked on so you could probably point to any of his work and say oh this came from Ghidorah this came from Gargantuas this came from Godzilla or, uh, sorry this came from um, uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon like it just felt like you you can't it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly where it's coming from because it all sounds like it all sounds very similar to to uh, to another thing. I don't know. I just I feel like because I watched the first movie and and in the first movie, the score actually did stand out to me. Like I, I like like you're saying, I mm. recognized it as a Fukube. I definitely recognized the mm. tones there, but it also felt very like well done, well put together. Like there was a lot of thought put into the the choices that he made in this in the score whereas this one doesn't feel like he made any choices he just pulled whatever music just kind of fit just to fill it it almost felt like it was Fukube's filler music and he was planning on coming back and putting better music in place but then just never did it's what it feels like now i don't know Maybe. i don't i 
I know a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff. I know there was kind of a time crunch with this one. So maybe it was just the mm-hmm. time crunch that, that made it that way. But I, I don't, I, so I don't really know exactly why uh, it's like that, but that's what it, to me, that's what the score in this movie felt like. Whereas I, like I said, the first movie, the score was very good and, and stood out to me mm-hmm. as like, Oh yeah, this is, this is obviously a Fuku Bay and this is obviously him doing his thing, but it also is upper it's upper tier, like higher tier of Fuku Bay. Whereas this is kind of more mm-hmm. of a lower tier. Yeah. I mean, it's at the same, if you think, as I was telling you last night, it, well, who was doing the Godzilla franchise at this time was uh, Sato, because all these films came out in the same year. They all came out in 1966. Right. Um, I, the the exact time frame, I don't, I don't know, we're offhand, but they all came out in the same year. So, you know, Daie was putting these out, they were putting out three films as opposed to, Toho only putting out one Godzilla film in 1966, which was Ebera. So, I mean, it may actually, it may be some of Ifukabe's uh, filler music, but I know that he worked directly with the film to, you know, compose it. So, I mean, it all just sounds, it all sounds like, you know, it all, it all sounds like, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, shoot uh oh well it all sounds like phil i guess i'll just go with it all just sounds like filler ifukabe music like what we've all heard in the past before yeah i mean i get i get where you're coming from i get what you're saying it's like when you've if you've heard one ifukabe score you've heard them all because he he does so many similar things on so many movies so i guess it could all just sound you know start it all starts running together in your head of like well i don't know it was that Ghidorah or was that rodan was that you know uh this or was that that because it's like well you know he's also used it for this other movie so it's hard to tell um but no i just yeah i did feel like this was a more felt more generic um but let's finish off on a few little positives before we get to our uh our godzuki score and our final thoughts so are there any any other little positives that you want to mention before we move on uh just the camera work the cinematography uh, oh, yeah. I think we you can lump that in with you can lump that in with the visuals um there was mm-hmm. a lot more there was a lot more like striking references in this movie to like biblical imagery. There's a lot more crosses in this movie, like literally, literally and figuratively cross literal and figurative crosses in this movie. Uh, than there was, I feel like in the last movie, um, I don't, I kind of agree with you that this has, this is miss. This one is missing kind of a, this is, this one's missing kind of a layer of, um, of not maybe not fantasy is the right word. Whereas we both agreed from the last film, it did feel like a Grimm's fairy tale. It felt more fantastical. Uh, this one felt just kind of like just like a, a good Japanese monster film, like that's or a good period piece film. 
Like that's what this movie mm-hmm. felt like. And then, uh, like I said, this, this, the very striking visuals in the movie, you know, the parting of the sea, him coming up from the water and then some of those long shots of him in the background and then everything else going on in the foreground. I just, I just think the cinematography in this one is, is a notch above the previous film. Um, but I'm not as impressed with the story. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, one little last little positive that I'll mention, then we can move into our final thoughts and Godzuki scores. I like that when the villain dies, that there's no like big celebration from the people, uh, from the, from Uh the people he was oppressing that, that they, they weren't like cheering and like, yay, we finally beat him. It's like, no, uh, this is a solemn occasion and this is kind of a terrifying situation and they all just kind of look very solemn in their expressions mm-hmm. and uh, and I just thought that was kind of a, a nice way of ending this whole thing of don't end it with a big you whippy we you know, we won it's like uh, no isn't this isn't this horrible that this had to happen like this Um that was a that was a positive. I li- I thought that was a a good touch. Yeah, you know, I've, and we've bagged on, you know, we've bagged on other films, especially Western films, where it's always that where that moment where it's supposed to be a little bit more somber and a little more tragic. They like, oh, hooray! We defeated the monster. We defeated the bad guy. But it's, it, it, you're mm-hmm. right. It's it's more tra- It's it should be more tragic than that. Like why? like we should have never have gotten to this point to begin with. And so, yes, it's going to be a little bit more somber, Mm -hmm. but yeah, Yeah. I I like that. I like that point you made. Yeah. Um, so we can go ahead and move now into our Godzuki scores. So for anybody who's new to the podcast, we like to rate these movies out of five Godzukis. That's God, Godzuki instead of uh, five stars or anything, because we like to embrace the sillier side of giant monster movies on occasion. Uh, and we use Godzilla's bumbling nephew as our yardstick for that. Uh, so Michael, what are your final thoughts and what is your Godzuki score for the return of Daimajin? I'm going to give this one. I'm going to give this one a four out of five Godzukis because it does everything. It it does everything exactly the same as in my opinion, it does everything exactly the same as the first film, but because the first film was such a, was such a, was just so well done. It was kind of, it was going to be hard for this one to stand up to that one. And the the if you're if you're judging it based on the previous film there's just you know the the story wise story wise if it was okay it was just a good it was just a a pretty solid story but it just felt kind of generic um you know obviously like the main thing that i like about this movie is the visuals like i it's the same if you take if you took the visuals from this movie but the, everything else from the first movie, you have a perfect combination. But you know, it's it's just my opinion. So for that, and I and I think that anyone who is a fan of this genre should watch this, regardless of what we say. I think um, 
that the Daimajin trilogy is an important trilogy for any giant monster fan, any fan of Tokusatsu, any fan, any person, any person that's like a fan of uh, sword and sorcery or sword and sandal, uh, even uh, 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 samurai films, martial arts films. You're going to enjoy this because this hits, this hits a lot of different genres all at once. And yeah, yeah, four out of five God. Oh, sorry, four out of five Godzukis, which feels really inappropriate for this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I wrote down my final thoughts, like I usually do, uh, or I try to do. So uh, I'm gonna read out my final thoughts and kind of go from there. Uh, this movie is well made and exciting. It trades the dark fairy tale like tone of the first movie for a more classic and by the numbers samurai drama. Um, it's uh, and I didn't mention it in my review in my uh, talking about the details, but it's very obvious that both of these movies, the first Daimajin and the second Daimajin, are made by two different directors. Uh, and and, and it is made by two different directors and it's very obvious it's made by two different directors um now even though this is uh a paint by numbers samurai drama it's 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 a well executed movie in its own right it does fall short of the unique experience that you get with its predecessor again it's the it's the uniqueness of the first one that makes it so special to me Mm -hmm. this one's just not unique it's it's still it fits into it fits in with the crowd that was happening at the time so i would say if if you like like i would put this on par with like a mothra versus godzilla or or a a Godzilla versus the Astro Monster. I think that this is as good as those movies. So this is not a bad movie, but it's just that right. The first Daimajin was unique and totally separate from those. It was like you can't even compare it to those films or any other uh, kaiju films or films in the genre because it is so wholly unique. Whereas this one just kind of does fit in uh daimajin returns uh daimajin returns feels more in line with your classic kaiju like i said um or samurai epics like zatuichi which i mentioned uh when we were going through our uh our specifics uh the tokusatsu where the special effects are very good they're still very uh they're still on par with the first movie uh the visuals once daimajin arrives are very striking like we said so with all of that in mind i'm gonna give it a four out of five Katsukis as well i was kind of going back and forth between four or four and a half but really i think it's a four it's not it doesn't knock it 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 doesn't knock the ball out of the park but it hits a good clean pitch <laughs> if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh mixing no it makes up. sense it makes sense <laughs> uh so yeah so that's that's our review for Dimogen returns so now we can move on to the next segment of the podcast and do you know what the next segment segment is michael i think i do i think i do is it something called the mailbag it is the mailbag 
What's in the mail today? And if you want to send us a letter to be read out on the podcast, you can do that kaijuweekly at gmail.com or at kaijuweekly on Twitter. That is the way to do it. Uh, please do because we, uh, we're going to be going on break soon. So now's the time to fill up our mailbag with a whole bunch of things that we can read out when we come back. Uh, the first thing I'm going to read out, I actually have two things to read out this week. What? Ooh. Very special. Very special. Uh, The first is an email. And it says, for immediate release. Oh, uh, no. For immediate release. We have a a very important, very important thing to read out. (laughs) From Nathan Marchand the host and curator of the Monster (laughs) Island Film Vault. The Monster Land Resort will host Clifford the Big Red Dog and his owner, Emily Elizabeth Howard, beginning December 2nd, 2021, until Christmas Eve. While the lovable Clifford's status as a kaiju remains questionable, he and Emily's story was recently dramatized in a titular film produced by paramount pictures based on the children's book series by norman bridwell many festivities are planned for clifford's time here these will include a special screening of the new film at the denim theater which will be hosted by emily and clifford a kaiju dog show that will feature clifford and his fellow canine kaiju king caesar ralph of rampage fame and Baragon and Lady Baragon. But no Barugon. Uh, oh, the well. festivities will also include rides on Clifford's back for the kids and kids at heart. Exclusive souvenirs will be sold in the Monster Island gift shop during Clifford's visit, which would be good Christmas gifts for the kaiju and animal loving kids in, in your life. Uh, Monster Island leads the world in kaijuology studies and recreation. Its Monsterland Resort hosts thousands of tourists each year who come to wonder at the largest creatures in the world. The scientific facility, headed by Dr. Jun Yoshido, continues to make breakthroughs in the understanding of these magnificent creatures and advocates for giant monster conservation and protection. So... That is our press release from the Monster Island uh, Board of Directives. Uh, well, actually, no. It's from it's from Nathan. <laughs> Maybe he was forced by that. <laughs> you know, I um, I find it weird that all this fan. I I I found it weird that all this fanfare happens to uh, happen on my birthday. Um, ah. so I feel like there is a conspiracy going mm. on. Well, maybe we should take you and let you ride on, on, on Clifford's back. That's, that's okay. I, I appreciate that, man. I, I really give, do, you but you give know, Clifford I, a little belly rub. I, that's okay. I, I've had enough of going to monster Island for a while. Yeah. 
uh, for anyone, for the uninitiated, uh, I'm going to break the kayfabe. So, oh no. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, don't kill me for the uninitiated. Uh, the Monster Island Film Vault is a podcast hosted by Nathan where he plays a character who is the actual curator of the real life Monster Island's uh, film vault uh, and works on Monster Island. So that's why a lot of times when Nathan is on our podcast and or sends emails to us, we're reading it as if he is a person who actually works on Monster Island. So now back in the kayfabe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we also got a a tweet but, to read out. I was gonna say, but Jimmy from Nassau is totally a real person. Yeah, Jimmy is real, and he is a an awesome, awesome action star. I was gonna say he was an a hole, but well, yeah, okay. also that too. Uh, we also got a tweet <laughs> to read out. Uh, so this comes from Kevin Dwayne. Uh, I think that's how you say your last name. I'm sorry, Kevin, but it's at elitist. Is it elitist? Anget Ankevs, Angkevs, El elitist. Ang Angkevs, elitist Angkevs. I don't know. I hope I'm saying that. I'm sorry, Kevin. Yeah, uh, but he tweeted at Kaiju Weekly. Uh, question: If <clears throat> Toei asked you to choose three Tokusatsu series to be subbed in full on their YouTube channel, which series would you pick and why? But the catch is, you can only pick one. Super Sentai and one common rider. So what Michael, what three Tokusatsu series would you pick? Uh is it series? Does he mean series or seasons? If I can only pick one Sentai and one common rider, I guess what? he's mean seasons and not se Yeah, like you know, okay, season, series, <clears throat> whatever, they're the same thing. Not Okay, whatever. I'm not getting into semantics, but um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I would really like a dub of um, sub. just for just because full I think sub. it would be. I'm sorry, not a sub. sub. Oh, full sub. Yeah, yeah, because full cause, sub. Because uh, right now, um, uh, what what Toei is doing is they're only. Uh, they're only doing the first couple of episodes, uh, subtitles, and then the rest is still in just the full Japanese with no subtitles. So all of their series are, that they're posting on their YouTube channel uh, are, you know, they, you can watch them, but most of the episodes oh. do not have subtitles. So if you want, if you well, wanted to take one of those shows and do have it fully subtitled from beginning to end, which one would you pick? Oh, well, I mean, a lot of, okay, so a lot of them are, that are available have, I've already seen the subs for on Tubi, but. Well, yeah, a lot of the Sentai, uh, a lot of, a lot of the Sentai ones, well, not all of them, but, but uh, uh, some of them are available with full subtitles on Tubi. So are you going to pick one outside of that? You know, 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say, um, I, cause I've never seen it and I want to watch it. I want to, I want to see Bioman, which is a Sentai. Mm-hmm. Hmm. One common writer, because I'm not the biggest common writer fan. Uh, I don't know. Um, you, you will be one day. You will be. Um, I don't. Um, what's the one? What's the one with the with the common writer with the crazy looking hair? X Aid is that yeah. got a subtitle on? Is that got a full just, sub? Just the first two episodes. Okay, so X Aid. There we go. X Aid because it looks ridiculous. Uh, Bio Man, and what's another Toei property? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I'm just gonna throw a curveball out here. I want to see, I want to see tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills dubbed in Japanese. There we go. That's not. That's. I know not it's not that. Toei, but <laughs> it's not Toei. So, uh, what I would pick is I want to see. Uh, Battle Fever J get an official subtitle. Mm. Um, I have seen you okay. know fan subs of it, but I would like that. That's my Sentai series. Uh, that is the Sentai series that has the um, the the uh, the communist Russian as a as a ranger oh, no. as a Power Ranger essentially. <laughs> yeah. Okay uh he's great i love him he's great uh yeah but but that that is uh that's the famously the the show that started the super sentai uh whereas before they weren't they weren't called super sentai and gave them their giant mech you know mechs that they could uh pilot and stuff that that's the series that started all that um started out as a as a uh, an adaptation of captain america uh in in japan and then decided that to is, huh. yeah yeah it was actually going to be because because marvel uh they they adapted spider-man and into spider spider-man and then they were going to do captain america mm-hmm. and that kind of they decided instead of doing a direct captain america they would kind of do us take the ideas they had and put it into their super sentai kind of grafted into the super sentai Mm -hmm. line uh and so that's where battle fever j comes from uh the common rider series of course mine would be common rider w of course i i have the i i have on a flash drive uh the fan subs of it it's my favorite common rider series i want to see it uh subbed fully officially um and officially get a full release uh to where we can own it legally (laughs) because i would i would pay for it uh and then Uh my third choice is one of the metal hero series so either space gavin uh space sheriff gavin or uh juco what is it juco b fighter which is the what got adapted into uh, Big Bag Beetleborgs. Um, so Juco oh, B-Fighter yeah, okay. or uh, B-Fighter Kabuto. Uh, one of those two. So, yeah. What is the one, what is the one that got adapted to VR Troopers? 
that is uh hold on i gotta look that up because i cannot remember it offhand because i would probably like to i would like to change my answer to whatever that whatever that was that got adapted to vr troopers because i forgot vr troopers was a a toe series yes uh it was uh super rescue special rescue police wind specter i think oh okay i think we are we are oh no 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 it was it was uh uh jiku shins uh jiku senshi spielbahn Okay. And, and Chojinki <laughs> Metalder. Uh, those were the two that were adapted into VR Troopers. Okay. And, so. And then, yeah. Okay. All right. So Bioman, Common Rider, X Aid, and whatever you just said. There we go. Metalder. Or Spielbahn. Metalder. Spielbahn. Metalder sounds like like I'm speaking Yiddish or not Yiddish, but uh, what's the Swedish. what's the language up north when you yeah Swedish or what is it when what is it called uh like further up north like towards Wisconsin like uh, the Scandinavian Minnesota like kind of like yeah like a Scandinavian language yeah it's well what it kind of sounds like I'm saying Sweden right? is a Scandinavian country so whatever thanks Travis. Thanks for making me look stupid, Travis. Like like the Swedish chef. I'm sorry to any of our Swedish yeah. listeners. Uh but that is the only Swedish that we know. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode of Kaiju Weekly. So the trivia question I'm going to ask for next week's episode is, uh, it's our 100th episode. So what has been your favorite episode or moment from the podcast so far? We have a lot of uh, a lot of fun, interesting moments that we've had over the last 100 episodes. Uh you can probably skip the first 50 <laughs> and be good. <laughs> but, uh, but what is your favorite moment? Uh, give that to us and we will uh, probably not read it out on the podcast since we already recorded the episode, but we will definitely retweet it on Twitter. If you send it to us on Twitter. Right. And the fun part about episode 100 is we're going to have a very special guest uh, that we won't tell you who it is yet. But we're going to have a very special guest uh, join us for that discussion of a movie that is it kaiju we're movie? all looking forward to. Is debatable on whether it's a kaiju movie. The greatest um, kaiju movie ever So made. yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. I can guarantee you that. Um, because I know I, cause spoiler, I know what happens. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm sure you guys are going to have a good time listening to it. Uh, and before we get out of here and just really briefly, I want to say thank you. Thank you for 99 episodes. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. We really, really appreciate everything that our listeners have done uh, for us uh, over the past 99 episodes. It has been a pleasure uh, going on this journey with you and going on this journey with Travis because, I mean, I'm not going to say every moment's been fun with, with you, buddy, but it's it's been a ride, that's for sure. Yeah, it's been a ride. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the only other thing to do on uh, for this episode, this 99th episode, is to thank everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. Like Michael said, it means a lot to us after 99 episodes to be still doing this. It, it's just, and to have people who actually listen and interact with us it's amazing we really appreciate it um if you want to follow us on twitter we are at kaiju weekly all the links to our social media as well as for the kaiju groupie facebook group are listed in the description of this episode you can send questions comments or answers to trivia questions to our email kaiju weekly at gmail.com we also want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported Kaiju Ramen Magazine so far. If you want to find out more about it, check out the website kaijuramenmagazine.com. Issue 4 is coming soon. Coming soon. We're almost done with it. Uh, we also want to say a big thank you to the terrific taylor ward or i should start saying the wonderful taylor ward the magnificent nathan marchand the cordial alex cornett and the nice damon noise and shijir for supporting us on patreon if you want to help support this podcast and get some nice bonus content which we are starting to post again on there some bonus content you can check out our patreon page patreon.com slash kaiju weekly pod yeah and all that sounds great but you know if you don't want to if you don't want to join the patreon but you still want to support this show we suggest going over to apple podcast and leaving us a five-star review and then what that's going to do is that's going to help this show grow it's going to help put this show in front of other kaiju and tokusatsu uh and Daimajin samurai period piece fans just like you um mainly it's just going to help us carry on for another 100 episodes uh we just really would have honestly we just really no 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 bull no banana oil we just really would appreciate a five-star review uh and if you leave us a five-star review and you actually leave us a comment in that five-star review telling us uh, what you think of the podcast, we promise, regardless of what that comment is, we will read that feedback on a future episode of the podcast. Yeah. And for the <clears throat> 99th time, help control the giant monster population. Have your 99 kaiju spayed or neutered. 99 red 99 red balloons summer sky. Uh, we both summer had the sky. same idea <laughs> panic bells scream red alert there's something here from oh, somewhere man. else <laughs> 99 kaiju episodes go by <laughs>
<laughs> Can't believe you walked Bye, all guys. over my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the ending of a Kaiju Weekly if I didn't just totally butcher and walk all over your idea, Travis. Oh, no. I just thought it was funny. I was like, I kept looking it up and I'm like, all I can find are the German lyrics and I don't want to sing the German lyrics. okay anyway <laughs> i don't know why I, I i was just editing a podcast just the other night and so i was like uh I'm, i've got the theme song to our podcast stuck in my head now <laughs> uh